0: Welcome. I'm Dr. Owen Anderson, and this is a devotional reflection on Psalm 73, a psalm of Asaph. And the thing that's great about this psalm, perhaps among many great things about the psalm, is that it offers a solution to the problem of evil. And it does so from the first person perspective. Asaph himself has been struggling with this problem, and it's brought him to the point of despair. So we're going to follow him through his inner reflections and how he went through those depths to come out on the other side with greater understanding by having greater understanding of of God. So he begins by affirming, truly God is good to Israel. That's the the affirmation, God is good, that leads to the problem of evil. But, But then how can there be evil if God is good? Truly God is good to Israel, no doubt about that to such as are pure in heart and that should remind you of beatitudes the pure in heart you'll see god which means to understand god to come to have a greater understanding of god but as for me here he has his confession of sin as for me my feet had almost stumbled my steps had nearly slipped for i was envious of the boastful when i saw the prosperity of the wicked so that's his, his setting up the problem of evil and is confessing his sin I was envious. I didn't understand. If God's good to Israel, why are the wicked prosperous? And then in in verse 4, he gets into a description of the wicked. They have no pangs in their death. They don't even know that they're on the way to death. Or they're in death. Spiritual death, they have no pangs. Their strength is firm. They're in no trouble as other men. Nor are they plagued like other men. They can use their money to get out of most of the ordinary problems of life. And so they have pride. They are proud in their pronouncing and proudly justify their sins. Pride is like their necklace. Violence covers them. They're violent toward others, and their eyes bulge in abundance. They have more than any heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongues walk through the world, through the earth. So they speak against God in their pride, in their abundance. And so people turn to them. And, they, and people uh, look to these wicked for leadership. And they say, how does God know? Is there any knowledge in the Most High? So where's God? This is what I call biblical atheism. Not like Epicureanism, which says there's only atoms in the void. But even if there's a God, he doesn't know. He doesn't do anything. Does he have knowledge? If he's so great, why isn't he acting in the world? That's their their, uh, depth of their wickedness is they're speaking in their unbelief against God. So behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches and surely, now before I go to that, uh, they're always at ease. That's the problem of evil. God is good to Israel, but the wicked are always at ease and they're prosperous. And so here's his sin that he confessed. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long, I've been plagued and chastened every morning. So he said, look, I'm good. I, I'm pure in heart. And I don't get these things that they get. So it's, it's been in vain that I did that. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. His, his, his turn the turn is thinking is coming. If he, if he would speak this way, he would be unfaithful. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. That's what he wants, though, understanding, not simply a feeling, not simply a behavior. He wants to understand so that his feelings and behaviors are changed. But it's too painful to reflect on until I went to the sanctuary of God and then I understood their end. In the sanctuary, Tabernacle. He understood their end. Key pieces here to, to not misunderstand. I, I, I read someone say what he means is sure, the wicked are doing great now, but they'll lose their money and they'll, uh, they'll get sicknesses and they'll lose their position of authority. And, and so he's just kind of sitting back waiting for that. And I don't think that's what's happening here. The sanctuary, the tabernacle of God teaches about the human condition and the the providence of God in redemption. It teaches that humans are in unbelief and that is culpable and that they need the death of another to pay for that sin and that God is the one who provides that sacrifice to redeem humans so that they might know God. And that knowledge of God is the best thing there is. That's what it means for God to be good to Israel, that he calls them to know him the wicked, even if they keep their money, they never get sick. They're always in a position of power. They never have that. So that's what he learned at the sanctuary of God by contemplating it, which is something the wicked never do. They never contemplate the truth of God. So surely you set them, the the wicked, in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Specifically, the destruction is not economic or political. I mean, those things could happen. The destruction is their failure to know God and the spiritual death that comes with it. Forever cut off from their creator. Or well, how they're brought to destruction as in a moment. They're utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awakes. So, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. In a moment, this life that these wicked have built up is overturned and destroyed. Their, their boasts and their unbelief don't serve them. They come to nothing and they'll be utterly consumed with the terrors of spiritual death. They're already in that, and their money can't, their money affords them some eases in life, but it can't buy them redemption. So he says, thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Again, confession of sin here. And the sin he's confessing is foolishness, ignorance. A lot of times we say, Oh, he knew the truth. He just didn't do it. But no, he's confessing, I didn't know. I was like an animal. But then here's the solution to the problem of evil. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Think about 23 and 24 in light of verse number one, that God is surely good to Israel. What is better, more gooder than this? continually with god and remember the biblical atheist said there is no god or if there is a god He is not with you he doesn't care about you and asaph is learning just the opposite by considering the truths of the tabernacle the truths about our need for redemption and then he he goes from his confession of sin to his proclamation of praise whom have i in heaven but you there is none upon earth that i desire beside you this is his highest good My flesh and my heart fail. These are the things that the rich were able to indulge, but they fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Or indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. This perish is not simply physical death. It's the spiritual death of being like an animal. They don't confess that sin, but Asaph did. They too are like animals. Animals can be indulgent and live well. And in that condition will perish. You've destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. What, again, is this destruction? We mostly look for the outward physical overthrow. And there are kingdoms, empires, countries, cities can be destroyed uh, by their own self-indulgence. But this is getting at this destruction of not having this. Spiritual death cut off from God forever or contrasting they'll be destroyed with 28 it's good for me to draw near to god i put my trust in the lord god that i may declare all your works this is the highest good he doesn't say up here when he said "Whom have i in heaven but you he's not giving an otherworldly vision of knowing god or when he says God holds him by his right hand and receives him to glory. Death, physical death, loses its terror precisely because we have the continuity of knowing God before that and after that. But this is no otherworldly vision. He puts his trust in God, and the purpose of the believer is to know God through the works of God and to declare that to others. So, do you know? the mighty works of God and creation and providence? Can you name them and recount them? Do you find your greatest joy in that? So that as you are tempted to envy the rich, you realize you're envying the wrong thing. The rich don't know the works of God. This sort of rich person uh, who's using their riches for wickedness, they, they don't know the, the goodness of God, the works of God. But Asaph had to confess he hadn't been doing that either. And so many, many believers are in the same situation as Asaph. They need to confess, yeah, I haven't been seeking to know God through the works of God, either because they also want the kind of rich life that the wicked have, or they want to find it in the next world apart from the works of God. But the the solution to the problem of evil in Psalm 73 comes down to this great declaration of all the works of God. Never set those aside for a beatific vision or a, a, an otherworldly escape. Always find your greatest joy in knowing God and all that by which he's made himself known in all his works of creation and providence.